You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Sorry, lost my place there. I'm supervising behind the scenes here. And so, oh, yeah, it's my turn. Uh, turn over in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Obviously, that's our theme passage today. And I have a couple of thoughts for us to set up our, the sharing of our teenagers today. They're really excited about doing this, and this means a lot to them. This is a really special group to Tanya and I, and obviously they're your kids. So I think they're special to you too, right? They've worked really hard on this, and it's not just performance and public speaking. This really matters to them. And what they're talking about, they really believe in. And some of the coaching behind the scenes this week has been... We don't want you to be sort of cutesy, and we don't want you to be phony. We want you to talk about the things that you really talk about. Now, anybody that does a little public speaking gets a little nervous, and some of that's going to come out today, but we need to give them a lot of grace, amen? We need to give them a lot of grace. And they are trying to really practice their convictions and practice the things, vocalizing and verbalizing the things that are really meaningful to them. Now... Uh, my, the one on my left here, this is Kyle Plum, and he's a great friend from the San Diego church. And Kyle's family, Joe and Mindy, his parents, they planted the church in um, Fall Flagstaff, Arizona, and had been in and out of the ministry for a number of years, sort of similar to the Brays. And uh, they're doing great um, shepherding in the San Diego church. And I wanted Kyle to share. He's not a teen. He's a campus student. So we've got some campus. I want some love from the campus students today. And he's going to share a little bit about his teen experience and his testimony. He's going to leave us with a thought in closing. I do want to say a quick shout out, quick hello. James Skinner, are you here? Where did you go, James? I think... Um, they just had to go. We love James. James is going to be here for about a month. Many of us know Rob uh, Skinner. That's the son. He's going to be staying with the does. But we have uh, Heather and Brooke Mickemson here today. Can you guys put your arms up? And we, want, we need some hugs. So we need some hugs for Heather and Brooke. Um, we love you guys. It's really exciting to have you guys here. And where's Mark from Mumbai? Oh, Mark. Great to have Mark here. So Bombay, Mumbai. It's great to have Mark here. Mark helps lead the church in Mumbai. And he also works for World Vision, and he's here getting some training, conference, World Vision. So, uh, bro, give us some World Vision. That's what, we're, uh, that's what we're looking for. Great, great, great to have you. Really great to have you. So the passage that I wanted us all thinking about this week is 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. The goal of this command, and remember, remember, this is Paul talking to Timothy about leading this big church in Ephesus. And he says there's a goal. He doesn't say the goal is, you know, you gotta, you gotta win a million souls, or you gotta be better than the Jews, or you gotta be better than the Greeks, or, he says there is a goal, there is a command, and I wanna leave this with you. He says the goal of this command is love. The goal of this command is love. And I love this passage because it gives us three sort of ingredients about spiritual love. This is not, I love double-doubles. This is different. This is spiritual love. This comes from what? A pure heart. A good conscience. 
and sincere faith. A good heart, a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So I want to remind us that this is our goal as well. Not church attendance, not fulfilling the law, not surviving church and not getting challenged. Your goal, our goal, my goal is to learn how to love. That's always our goal. The thing that makes our relationship with God so special is He's trying to love us. And if He's trying to love us, how are we reciprocating love back? Does He see it back? Is it going back this way? And is it going out into our community? We're to be a people of love. And that's never going to change. That was the goal in the first century. That was the goal in the second century. That's the goal in the 21st century. There are so many churches out there. What do you do? And we're trying to learn from people. We're trying to be humble. But at the end of the day, if we use this model, that model, or the other model, the goal is still love. And we're not going to try and set up a a church that just outperforms other churches. Right? I want to say that again. We're not, our goal is not to outperform other churches. Our goal is to really learn how to love. And that's really what we do in three ways. We love God. We love the Christians. And we love the people, our neighbors in the world. And that's what He wants us to do. That's our life. That's the big frame of our life. So this is our goal. This is exciting though. Uh, look over in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, because I want to remind us of this passage. I read this a lot and I just love it. And I can't think about the heart and how you love without thinking about this passage. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon says, above all else, above, above all else, above coffee, above breakfast, above your internet connection, above your spouse, and above your children, And above your job and your income, above all else, guard your heart. That's the wellspring of life. You're going to do good in life when you guard your heart. And you're going to struggle when you don't. You're going to be happy and fulfilled and engaged when you guard your heart. And you're going to feel depressed, anxious, or upset, sad, or frustrated, mad when you don't. And we get critical, and we like to throw rocks at people, and we get all upset. And it's not about that. It's about spiritual us as spiritual people learning how to guard this heart. And I like the metaphor. It's a well. It's water. It's water. And when water's pure, what do you want to do? You want to drink it. You want to drink all of it. And when water's dirty, what do you want to do? Yeah, you sort of give it to the plants. We're in an apartment complex. You use recycled water, right? That's cool. That's good. Save the, save the world. But it smells really bad when they turn on the sprinklers. And you go, oh, I don't want to be drinking that. Right? And so I want you thinking about your heart as a water. What's in there? What kind of water is, is your heart? Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm don't swerve to the right don't swerve to the left keep your foot from evil 
That's just a great foundational. If you're going to be a loving person, if you're going to learn how to love spiritually, please come back to that passage over and over and over again. It's just a great reminder of, yeah, this is how I'm supposed to be loving and what's sort of the condition of my heart. Um, So he talks about this pure heart. Now, we live in the world, so there's always some impurities in our heart. You're never going to go through life without getting some impurities in your heart. And I think that's challenging. I think that's our challenge. How do I be in the world? How do I live in the world and keep my heart pure? I think we need a lot of help with each other when we're talking about this and when we're doing this. Uh, We had a great session with our In Motion group this morning. And we're talking about, okay, how do we help each other? Let's say my goal is to lose 10 pounds. Let's say my goal is to, um, uh, um, I'm working chemical addiction. I'm trying to get over alcoholism. And let's say instead of losing 10 pounds, I gained 3 pounds because I was binging on Ben and Jerry's. Okay, now in the old days, we sort of prided ourselves, and I don't think it's wrong. It's good. We got the old iron sharpen iron thing, right? And so we might give you a good push and go, bro, you're a loser. That's totally lame. That was stupid. You don't care. You're not trying. You're not trying. Stop coming to the group. And give me a hug. Right? And that's okay. We sort of wore that a little bit as a badge of honor. Like, I think I was hard line. And the bro will give you a pat on the back and go, bro, that's pretty hard line. I know. That's my goal. I don't know. I don't think there's any one way to do this. I have blown it. I had a goal to, to, to uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I got a goal to not drink. I had, I had seven beers this week. Well, it's not okay. It's not a good idea if Raul is my partner. I don't want Raul to give me a big hug and go, bro, great job. That was awesome. You're awesome. Right? That's not going to work for anybody, right? But there is a way for him to talk to me about it. Uh, that he can be another guy with me and say, I've got my issues too. That, we always like that. We can be vulnerable with each other, right? Amen? I think it's good to ask, for him to ask me my goal. What's your goal? Maybe, maybe you're changing your goal. What's your goal? No, my goal is to be clean. My goal is to get over this thing. Is there a way I can help you? How do I help you? Do I need to call you more? Do we need a better plan? Do we need more people involved to help? Maybe we need more resources. Let's be successful. Let's be successful. How do we do this together? So there's more of a coming alongside of, right? And, and, and a little push is okay. And you know, bro, knock it off. You're playing with fire. I'm good with that. I think that's good. I'm an athlete. I like a little coaching. I like a little push. I like a little push. I everybody's different, but this is about knowing people. I'm just me personally. Is that works great for me. And then we start again. Okay, your goal is a mountain. Let's not quit. Let's not stop climbing the mountain. Let's get back on the mountain and keep going. Right? Amen? So it looks a little bit like this. We had a brother, a good friend of mine in this group in, in our old church in San Diego. And um, I said, bro, you know, we have these groups and you're kind of my wingman here. And you never share. I, I need you to share a little bit. It helps the group if you share too. He goes, oh, you're, you're kidding, right? I go, no, why? He goes, um, they asked me to open up in a group 27 years ago, and I did it. And what I learned from that is you never do that. 
That was 27 years ago. I go, oh, yeah, bro, I don't think that's, yeah, I, I get it. But um, we got to relearn how to do this again. The, the goal doesn't become just avoid everybody now. Okay, now let's just avoid everybody. Uh, maybe we hurt some people in the past. Now let's just avoid everybody because we don't want to hurt them. I don't think that's a good goal either. There's a way that we engage and interact with each other. Let me help you make your goals. And I think that's really hard. And I think that's really helpful if we're trying to have a pure heart. Because when we're open and we externalize our stuff, we get a nice mirror back as to what's really going on inside my heart. We really need that. I don't know if we have anybody that read The Kite Runner. Did anybody read The Kite Runner? Real popular book, five, seven, nine years ago, something like this. It's a great book. It's a great story about these two boys, Amir is the older brother, and um, Hassan, did I get that right? Hassan's the younger brother. And Hassan worships his older brother. Uh, All he wants is his brother's approval. And the other brother um, always makes that hard, puts him down, teases him, criticizes him, kind of uses him a little bit, but he is kind of his best friend too. It's a funny, they got a funny relationship. They're in Afghanistan. They get chased by this bully, these bullies, and they've got Amir trapped and Hassan makes a distraction. They chase Hassan and they catch him in this alley. And sorry, it's a little graphic. It's a little brutal. They beat him severely and they rape him. And Hassan, And Amir is in this alley watching the whole thing. And he's just paralyzed by fear and guilt, and he doesn't do anything. And then the story fast-forwards. He says, that, you know, it was a long time ago. But it's wrong what they say about the past. I've learned about how you can't bury it. Because the past claws its way out. Looking back now, I realize... I've been peeking into that deserted alley for the past 26 years. And this is what God is trying to free us up from. This is not a pure heart. Some of our past and some of the things we've done, they do haunt us and they keep us in in a weakened state. And God wants us, uh, hey, the, the alley, the alley is forgiven. And now I've got something else for you. Our relationship, and I need you to get into experiencing, really experiencing grace and forgiveness. And really uh, uh, relying on the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. But it's hard to recognize and be aware of that when we're still peeking and watching uh, down the alley of whatever happened however many years ago. That's a good challenge for us. Secondly, he talks about having a good conscience. Having a good conscience. Having a good conscience. What leads to a bad conscience? We all sort of know this, yes? I've done wrong. I've made a mistake. I blew it. I sinned. Um, There's sins of uh, a commission. I did this wrong. I barked at my wife. It was terrible. I was angry at the kids. I cursed. I was looking at something impure on the internet. I drank. I cursed. Whatever. Also, sins of omission, right? The things I should have been doing, I'm not doing. That gets us too. But he's saying love comes from a good conscience. If we continually walk in the light, 1 John promises, what happens? 
The blood of Jesus is continually cleansing us. And His desire for us is to be in a place of good conscience. And we're going to hear a little bit more about this today. I love this quote from Anne Lamott. She says, I don't understand, I don't understand the mystery of grace. Only that it meets us where we are and does not leave us where it found us. I love that. When I don't have a pure heart, good conscience, you know what I do? Most of us do. We find a little cave to huddle into. And we might put on a good face, happy face, happy face, happy face. But, but spiritually, emotionally, we're, we're down in this little cave. And grace is amazing. Grace, God's grace, it has a way of getting down into that cave every time. It always knows where I am. I can't hide. It finds me. It always finds me. It's always talking to me. It's hard to listen to it, though. Yes? It's hard to listen to it. It finds me. It's God saying, I love you. It's Jesus. It's the blood. It's the cross. I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm your Father. I'm with you. And the mystery is that it never leaves me in that cave. It never leaves me where it found me. I want you to think about that this week and experience more of this in your life. We had this, uh, we had a great week, really. We tried to put on a um, bonfire for the teens on Friday. And that doesn't sound like a hard thing to do, does it? So we don't have somebody that could stay at the pit all day. So I was down there till about three and I left all my stuff down there and there wasn't a soul on the beach. Thank you. Then um, Nick and the team people and everyone, the parents, they all come about 630. And what do they see? A, a calamity of people. And our pit's been taken and there's some there's some hooligans in our pit. The Walking Dead is taking over. The zombies have taken, taken, over, taken over our pit. And we get a lot of phone calls. People are upset. And we get teens, and they're upset. And we get, and we got teen workers who are upset. I'm like, oh, this is great. Everybody's upset. Anybody happy? No, nobody's happy. Good, good. That's not the goal. But that's where we're at. And we sort of did this and that and blah, blah. And I really want to lift up Nick. Nick works super hard for our teens. And we don't pay him a penny. He spends a lot of his money, he spends a lot of his time uh, trying to disciple our boys, and he's doing a lot of Bible studies and so forth and so on. And um, it's great. And he had a tough day on Friday. And he pulls me aside and he goes, I'm really not doing good. I go, good, what's, let's talk. And we went for a little prayer on the beach. We went for a little prayer on the beach. I'm like, look, this is pretty cool. Total calamity. And two big guys just praying on the beach together. And it, and it was great. He goes, I, I'm upset, and I'm hurting, and I'm frustrated, and I just need to pray with you. I go, God, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, let's talk. We had a great talk, and then we had a prayer. And he was great. He goes, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just uh, frustrated life, and I need to do better spiritually. I just need to do better spiritually. That's great. Me too. Me too. And we come back, and God sort of moved. The Holy Spirit always sort of moves, right? The hooligans left. Well, they went like 10 feet away. And we got our pit. And everybody looked happy. And we're like, this is happy. Now we're happy. And we're singing. Chris Elwell's got his guitar. He's singing. I want to also hold up Nick. He's not a good singer, but he's better than me. And he ended up being the song leader. He's got his phone. He's just like Googling lyrics. Okay, here's a song. <laughs> And we're into it. And we're like, sing. I'm like, this is really great. And the hooligans are right here smoking pot. 
Sorry, campus people. I keep looking over at you when I talk about hooligans smoking pot. And they're trying to ignore us, and they're pretty loud, and blah, blah, blah. And after, like, the second, third song, I was kitty-quartered to them because I, I didn't know. You never know what hooligans are going to do. And uh, I thought, this is pretty amazing, right? Here we are. We're trying to worship with our teens, and this is L.A. And these guys are right here smoking pot. And after a few songs, they're kind of mesmerized. They're, like, watching us. And I said, you know, this is some of the best sharing your faith we've ever done, probably. (laughs) We're sharing our faith. We're taking it to the world. And it was a great moment. It was a great moment. You surrender, (laughs) surrender, try and let some grace in. And God works. And God works. Sincere faith. This summer, we've got a great plan we're talking about. We're going to have a little leaders meeting after church. Trying to organize a more integrated church. Singles, marrieds, us together, doing stuff together. We want you to have a good heart. We need you to have a good heart. We've got to get us more connected and integrated. We're going to do some simple things together. I think going forward and connecting our church more means like this thing Nick and I did, we got to do better in our small groups and better being connected to one another. And again, I think there's this fear of, Iron sharpen iron, and I learned not to ever talk about it. That's not the answer. The answer is not avoiding each other. The answer is being with each other and really building better relationships. And so we want to double down on our small groups and our connectivity with one another, being in good discipling relationships with each other, good brothers, good sisters, good being together, good openness, good trust, good faith, all that stuff. We've got some nice activities. They're pretty simple. But it doesn't matter if our heart collectively isn't moving more toward that goal. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? And so we need a good, sincere faith that everything that we've gone through has happened for a reason. Amen? And that life is teaching us. And that we've got grace from God. And okay, we've come a long way, and He's going to do something special for, with us. But that doesn't... That doesn't that means cynicism. That means cynicism is the enemy of sincere faith. And going forward, we need sincere faith. And my hope, and, and what I think, is when you see our kids sharing, it's going to help your faith. You're going to see sort of the heart of our next generation coming out here. And our issues, yeah, we all have our issues. But listen to the heart of the next generation here and what it is saying. And so we have, of course, Abby and Megan, and Kiki, and Kenzie, and then Kyle uh, from San Diego is going to close us out. So at this time, I'm going to have Abby come on up and share first. Abby Horton. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Abby, um, Abby Hanna, and I am a junior at Culver City High School. Um, real quick, shout out to my mom. Today's her birthday, and she's 29. Happy birthday, mom. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, so I'm 16 years old. Like I said, I'm a junior at Culver City High School. So when I graduate, I would like to study sociocultural anthropology in college, um, which is basically learning and understanding the concept of culture and how um, people uh, respond to religions and how different religions respond to people. Um, 
and I want to do this because I care about people and just want to be more informed on like the world we live in. Um, so I'm here today to talk to you about um, civil rights and especially as a Christian, um, how we should react to them and even our place in activism and standing up for justice in such a corrupt world. Um, I'm a black woman, obviously. Um, and so the recent events concerning the black community, such as shootings and different forms of injustice, is something that personally affects me. I think even thinking about uh, my family, my brother, my dad, myself, my mom, knowing that we can be in these situations at any time, um, it is something that scares me, and it's something that I think about uh, daily. Um, so I am very active in protest and activism in general. Um, but as a Christian, it kind of leaves you standing or questioning what do we do and, like, where is our place? Um, so looking into Luke 10, verse 25 to 37, um, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, I'm just going to summarize it. So basically there was a man on the road, and he was stripped of his clothes and beaten by a group of robbers, and three people walked past. There was the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Um, and both the priest and the Levite ignored the beaten person on the road, um, but the Samaritan was the one who stopped and helped the man, um, who was suffering, and he acknowledged that suffering was going on. And he was the one that was marked as the good neighbor. He was the one that Jesus wants us to imitate. Um, I think as a church, we can't be the priests and Levites of our society, um, caught up in our status as where we're ignoring the suffering that's going on. Um, I think we need to acknowledge that God is perfect, yes, and he's free from injustice, he's free from racism, he's free from discrimination and stereotyping. Um, but just because we're in a church doesn't mean that we're not free from that, and we can be um, discriminatory, we can be uh, stereotypical and um, racist. And um, I think even though it's 2017 and we are in L.A., these things are still very evident in our world today. Um, and just because it's not right in front of us, that doesn't give us a justification to ignore it and to leave the beaten man on the road. Um, I think a lot of communities right now are at a disadvantage um, and are suffering and loving one another is not being defiant to the facts that a lot of us don't want to hear. Um, as a church, we shouldn't and can't ignore injustice, but I think it's a great chance to evangelize. I know for me, um, being black and a Christian has helped me open up and be able to connect with so many more people with uh, the Holy Spirit and the Bible as my tool, um, rather than just identifying as black or just identifying as Christian. It's helped me um, start so many conversations and really be a person that uh, can listen to other people's hurt. Um, uh, I want us as a church to be good neighbors and to evangelize um, and to help the beaten man on the road, but we can't be good neighbors unless we're conscious that suffering is going on and that there is a beaten man on the road. I want to leave you guys with a scripture. It's Micah 6, verse 8 in the MSG version. It says, but he's already made it plain how to live and what to do. What God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Thank you for letting me share. Hi guys, I'm Megan Whitcomb and I'm a senior at Culver City High School. Um, I think if I could change one thing about this next generation and just the world that we live in today is the societal pressure to front. Probably you're like, uh, you lost me at senior in high school. Um, but to front is basically to be fake or to just be inauthentic with who you really are. Um, 
And in today's society, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's Snapchat, there's Twitter, and probably some that I like don't even know about. Um, but to look desirable and to look great on every single one of those mediums is hard, and it takes work. Um, and I think we try to make ourselves look fun and adventurous, um, aesthetic, um, or just look like our lives are actually put together. Um, but I think when everybody is striving to look like that, it creates insecurity and competition, um, all in just to prove our worth. Um, I think the more friends you have, the more likes you have, the more comments, even how many people post for you on your birthday, um, just continually feeds the burning question of, am I good enough or am I worth it? Um, <laughs> not to put the teen girls on blast, but we just had teen prom, and it was so fun. Everybody looked beautiful. But even afterwards, people were like, uh, like, my date didn't post about me. Like, does he like me? Am I weird? Like, did he not have fun? Like, despite everybody knowing that we had a ton of fun. Um, and I think that just shows, like, how deep it is that, like, our worth comes from these things. Um, and it's kind of sad that that's the measure that we use for ourselves. Um, this has especially been a struggle for me so much that I just had to delete Instagram. That, that was like the biggest perpetrator for me. Um, I was constantly checking it. I was like looking at other people's like perfect lives and I was like, dang, not there. Um, and even just feeling like my life was reduced to the shallow um, expectations or like the shallow assumptions of my life just off of pictures or how many people were following me. Um, Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. And I really think I was blindly enslaved to this. Um, the attention, the instant gratification that comes with people um, affirming who you are as a person. Um, and if this is me, I know there's a ton of other people that feel that same way. But the thing that I do know is that God already proved my worth. And I fall short every single day of my life um, of his glory, but he deemed my soul to be worth the sacrifice of Jesus. And so I think if I could change one thing, it would be for people to truly understand the depth of their worth in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Okay. Hi, everyone. <laughs> My name is Kiki Spath. I'm a senior in high school, and I've been a disciple for three years. As some of you may or may not know, it's currently Mental Health Awareness Month. This is not an easy topic for me to talk about. I try to make myself appear perfect so I don't talk about my struggles with mental health very often. I want to briefly share some statistics relating to mental health in the United States. One in every five Americans suffer from mental illness. Around 50% of adults and 70% of adolescents suffering from mental illness don't receive needed treatment. Suicide is currently the third leading cause of death in adolescents and young adults. <laughs> All throughout high school, um, all throughout high school, I've been fighting through anxiety, depression, insomnia, and suicidal thoughts. I distance myself from my family, friends, and God because I feel as if my mental health disgraces them. At my worst, I was taken to the hospital during a severe panic attack. 
I was overcome with an overwhelming amount of emotions and fell to the floor. I laid there sobbing as it felt like the world was closing in on me and I began to hyperventilate. I could feel my heart pounding as I was gasping for air. I thought I was going to die. I was terrified to take my own life because I thought God didn't want me, but I also had no desire to keep living. Once at the hospital, I was placed in a psychiatric unit and waited for the arrival of a doctor. I had never felt more ashamed in my entire life. After an evaluation, the doctor told me that I value what others think about me more than my own faith. He told me that God would never abandon me and hold on to that faith. Looking back, I now see that that was the Holy Spirit and that God had been right there with me in my darkest time. I want people struggling with mental health or mental illness to believe in God's power. Mental health and mental illness is a darkness. If you don't struggle with mental health, be there for someone who does. Listen, be patient, and always show that you love and care about them. People struggling with mental health and mental illness, don't be afraid to get help. Take your medication and see your doctor, but don't underestimate what God is capable of. God has the power to turn your darkness into light and your weaknesses into strengths. 2 Samuel 22:17 through 20 says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of my deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in my day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Don't turn away from God when you feel that darkness. Let him in and let him love you. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, how y'all doing? Uh, all right, so we heard a few different issues referenced by uh, the three people who spoke before me. Yeah, yeah racism, uh, kind of like the negative effects of social media, and then neglect for uh, people struggling with mental health. Uh, so what I want to address a little bit is, like, what's the root of all this? Like, if there's all this... Uh, evil in our world today, there must be some type of common source, a common root of all of it. So I'm going to read a scripture in 2 Timothy 3 right quick. Uh, it says, but mark this, verse 1, it says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of, pl- lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. So I think as we drift further and further away from God, and we've all been there, I mean the Christian walk's one of many ups and downs, so we've all been there, but like I said, as we drift away, we're kind of opening the door to this godless society that we've just mentioned that this verse talks about. Uh, And I think that uh, when we ask ourselves, why does such and stuff happen? Or why is there racism in our world? Or why is there hate? Why is there violence? Why is there neglect? Why do people exploit each other? Uh, It all comes down to just a lack of God. And it happens is when we move God out the picture, it's like everything else comes to the forefront. And I could speak to that uh, based on experience, uh, I always find myself in the midst of uh, just a continuous battle of whether I want to be, uh, like verse 4 says, it says, 
a lover of pleasure or a lover of God. So it's my will, my way, or God's will and God's way. Uh, and when I choose to do my own thing and kind of neglect what God has for me, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of a sad realization that I'm just really making myself just another instrument of our godless world rather than uh, something, rather than the great things that God has planned for me. And ultimately, it's like a really shallow, unfulfilling place. But I think the hope that we have for all of this and everything that was mentioned, and obviously that, those are just a few things, but the, the one hope that we have is uh, that there is a solution, and that's the good news. And I think that solution comes in Jesus, that when we, uh, that it, it's important to realize that the absence of God is kind of the presence of sin in our lives and vice versa. So when God is in our lives uh, and when we're loving and we're choosing to live the life that God's asking us to, it makes everything else, like there's absolutely no room for it. There's no room for racism or hate or, hate or violence or any of that. So uh, we all have these very specific issues we want to address, and that's great, and we should. But uh, I think it's important to kind of grab it by the root and just realize that uh, we need more God in our lives. So I think individually and collectively as a body, it's important to uh, realize that uh, we need less of us and more of God and then just see the direct reflection on the world around us. How you doing, church? Uh, my name is Kyle Plum, and uh, I am not a teen. Uh, I'm in the campus ministry. Uh, I'm out in Texas. Uh, I'm a part of the uh, Corpus Christi Church planning out there. And um, like I said, I'm originally from San Diego. Um, I grew up a kingdom kid. My parents are disciples. Like Todd said, they're in the ministry for a little while. And uh, I was taught right from wrong. I was taught the different Bible stories. I was taught... Um, what to do, what not to do. It's not like I had this home where there was no parents and no role models. I had that. Um, but I never really took this to heart. Uh, my parents got out of the ministry and neither of them had gone to college and we didn't have any money. And so I would wear other people's clothes and stuff to school and kids would make fun of us and kids would make fun of us at school for um, the things we ate, the things we did. And I think I got really bitter and real hurt at a young age. And I think um, there was some other stuff that happened when I, when I was younger that really hurt me. And it it turned me from a real lighthearted, loving kid into a real angry and serious kid at a young age. Um, in those younger years, I was, I was constantly suspended from school. I fought a lot. Um, I was always in detention. I remember I went from lunch detention, and I went down to lunch. I, I got out early, and I got in a fight, and I got suspended. And that was kind of how I was. I was, just, I was out of control. Um, me and all my brothers we were at the same school, and so my mom just stopped picking up the phone for the school because they called every day about one of us. Um, so we were, we were that family at the school. Um, you know, and there were, there were times when I was younger, uh, the schools I went to were mostly, uh, Hispanic and African American and I was white and I was little and we got beat up a lot and we got picked on a lot. And I think there were a lot of times where I was scared to fight back and I was scared to, um, react. And so I felt like a coward. I'd go home at night and just go to my room and cry like, man, I'm a coward. I'm not fighting back. Like I, I need to fight back. And my dad and uncle were always telling me like, you know, you got to stand up for yourself. And they would take me in the garage and start making me punch their hands and stuff. And so I was, I, w- I felt like Jonah when he talks about, I was angry to the point of death. Um, I remember in my room at night, I just made a resolution like, you know, if someone's going to come after me, I'm not going to back down. I made a resolution with that. Um, 
With, with high school came my teen years, and unlike many of the teens here who shared I was not a disciple, didn't want to be a disciple, wanted nothing to do with that, um, I want to lift up our teens. That's, that's really awesome for being disciples in high school because, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's tough to do. And I had completely the wrong focus in high school. I was all about football, I was about money, and I was about girls. And God was not even in the picture. Um, even though I claimed he was, you know, to score a touchdown and point up to the sky. And I, I claimed that God, God was there, but I wasn't worshiping him with my life. Uh, the only reason I came to church, honestly, was because my parents made me and so I could meet girls. That's why I came to church. Um, I thought that people at church were fake. I thought that there's no way these people can be happy all the time. Stop trying to hug me. You're not happy. Like, get away from me. That's how I felt at church. Um, I continued to fall deeper into the world and into darkness as high school went on. I was sleeping around with many girls and using them to buy me stuff and give me rides to different places. I got involved with a bad crowd and began stealing and robbing people. Um, we would rob people at school. I, I tried to break into houses, break into cars, did different things like that. Um, home invasion type stuff. I was in a weird way kind of addicted to the rush that I got from these things. It gave me a feeling of power. I think a feeling of power that I've been sinking since I was little, sinking since I was getting beat up um, as a little kid. And, you know, I wanted that power. I, I sought out that power any way I could. And the more I sought this out, the more violent and reckless I became. I would go out in the middle of the night and just walk down the street, and I was just praying like, I would literally pray that someone would come up and try to fight me. I would be walking down the street, and I just wanted to fight. I was angry. I was angry at the world, and I think a lot of that stemmed from the hurt I felt. Uh, the crowd I hung out with was a lot like me, very scared, very insecure, very angry. And we all acted tough, but like my mom's always told me, anger is a secondary emotion. And that anger hit a lot of hurt. And kind of like Todd was talking about, you can't just bury that hurt. You know, you can't bury the past. It's going to come crawling back. And it definitely did for me. Um, I hid my insecurities, like I said, by fighting anybody and everybody I thought was trying to add to that hurt. I wanted to be feared and respected. Um, when the older guys would tell me, go fight this guy, I would go fight him. When they would tell me, go rob this guy, I would go rob him. When they would tell me, go sell this or go take this over to that person's house, I would do it. I did anything they told me to because I wanted to be feared. I wanted to be respected. Um, I felt invincible. I felt like I couldn't be touched. I, I was so gone, it came to one point. I was by my house, and there was this guy, and he just looked at me wrong. He may not even have looked at me wrong, but I thought he did. And I remember I pulled out a knife, and I went across the street, and I tried to stab him, and I ran after him, and the, the cop drove down the street, and that saved me from doing anything too stupid. Um, but my head was gone. I was, I was, I was out of control. And um, I think God definitely protected me during those times. You know, there was one night where I was at a friend's house, and we were really drunk, and we were eating chicken on the hood of his car, and we were, we were hanging out, and just chilling with the homies, you know, and so we were chilling, and we were eating some chicken, and uh, this car, we saw him pass by a couple times, and um, we kind of took notice, and then they were playing some really loud music, and then all of a sudden, we heard the music turn off, and uh, we were really drunk, so we weren't really there, and so I kind of looked down, and they had turned their lights off, and they turned the music off, and they were rolling down the windows, coming down the street, and I remember kind of like, these dudes about to shoot at us, and so we hopped up, and I... I don't know why I wasn't scared. I was, I was probably because I was drunk, and I hopped up and kind of looked at them, and they didn't shoot at us, and they all had guns, and I just kind of like laughed at them, and I was like, ah, you guys are faking it. You guys are, you guys are, you guys are weak. You're not really trying to do anything. And we went in the house, and then we heard pow, 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 and someone they started shooting at somebody else down the street, and you know that's just an instance where God definitely protected me because if I would have died, wasn't going to heaven, not even a chance. And um, I think God definitely protected me. At that point in my life, 
Um, after high school, I was recruited to play football. Um, I chose to go to Colorado State, and I continued to plunge deeper into my sin out there. I didn't have the same crowd around me, but I still had that rage inside of me. I was almost dismissed from the team in the first week, because in the first day of practice, I was in three fights. Um, I was in a fight with a couple seniors, a couple of the older guys, and you can't do that. You know, I was just a red, I was redshirting. I was, I was at the bottom of the pole, and I was, I was trying to fight my way up. And I was miserable. You know, I didn't deal with the hurts I had. I didn't deal with my anger. Uh, I began to hate myself. I couldn't wait to, I couldn't wait to go to sleep every night. I just didn't want to be present to my life. I didn't want to be present to the thoughts I had. And um, just to be real, I, I, I thought I had contracted an STD from a girl that was there, and that was a huge scare for me. Thankfully, that, that didn't happen. Um, I was thinking about suicide. I was drinking and getting drunk. Even though I acted tough in front of other people, I think I was, I was crying more than I ever had in my life behind closed doors when it was just me. Um, I realized that this wasn't the life I wanted to live. And throughout my life, I had people constantly reaching out to me, constantly trying to bring me in, constantly sharing their faith with me, constantly showing me the Bible, even when I didn't want them to. Um, if it wasn't for these brothers and my family never giving up on me, uh, I don't think I'd be a disciple, and I definitely wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Um, I came home from Colorado State after that first semester and started studying the Bible, and I studied the Bible for two weeks and was baptized on January 19, 2014. And, you know, just to touch on the, the scripture that Todd shared in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. The goal of God's command is love. We see that resounding throughout the Bible. Uh, we see it when Jesus is sacrificed for us on the cross. We see it in the Old Testament all throughout it. The entire theme of the Bible is really like a love letter to us from God, I think. And, you know, because of God's overwhelming love for us, we need to love others. And so my question here to you, brothers and sisters, is what are you pouring your love into? You know, are you pouring it into a career? Are you pouring it into a relationship? Are you pouring it into yourself? Or are you pouring it into, are you pouring it into God and his mission for us? Because the brothers that were sharing their faith with me and the brothers that were trying to help me see what I was doing and see how bad my life was and how good it could be, they were pouring their love into me and they were pouring their love into God and his mission. And that's what we need to do. And, you know, my question is, are we, are we loving the lost? You know, these brothers love the lost. I was very lost. Um, we see with the Braves, you know, they, they were lost at one point, but they had people reaching out to them. All the teens up here had people reaching out to them. You know, are we loving the sick, the hopeless, the abandoned, the rejected, the unlovable, the untouchable? Or are we just going to church on Sunday because it makes us feel better about ourselves? Are we still in the mission? Are we still fighting to make disciples are we just coming to church to hang out and treat it like a social club? Because if it wasn't for people who were uncomfortable and it wasn't for people who were kind of getting themselves in awkward situations, sharing things for me, to me from the heart, I never would have become a disciple. And I'd, honestly, I wouldn't be here alive today. And so kind of to wrap it up, I know this is a teen service, and so I want to talk to the teens real quick. Um, to those of you who are disciples, I think that's awesome. I couldn't do it, obviously. I was insane in high school. And I know the darkness in the world at high school. And I think it's definitely hard to open up your mouth in such a place where you're judged and you're, you're looked down upon. But I think just loving people the way Jesus loved is enough. And that's going to speak magnitudes to a high school where it's just darkness. And to the teens out there who aren't disciples, maybe you don't even want to be a disciple. That's fine right now. That's your decision. You know, you shouldn't feel pressure from your parents to become a disciple. You can't get baptized and become a disciple because of them. You've got to do it for yourself. And my advice to you would just be open up the Bible. 
Um, just because you're studying the Bible doesn't mean you have to get baptized, doesn't mean you have to make some huge commitment. Just check it out. Because the life you're going to live with God is a lot better than the life you're going to live without him. And I can tell you that from experience. Okay, so just open up the Bible. Ask someone for some help. You know, where are we giving our love? Give it to something eternal. Give it to something that will actually matter when you die. Eternity is a long time to be filled with regret, and I don't want to give my, my love to something that's not going to matter when I die. Make sure we're trying to achieve the goal of God's commands, and one day when we're in heaven, we're going to be all together, and we're going to point over and see, ah, hey, baptize that guy, and he baptized me, and you're going to see the people that they baptize and the people that they baptize. It's going to be a chain reaction. We're all going to be up there in heaven, um, worshiping God together. Um, brothers and sisters, let's affect and change the world for Christ by our love. If there's one thing missing in this world, it is that. I love you all. Thanks for having me. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.